0: When Marley was 10, life seemed really hard, and she wrote about it in her diary.
1: Being nine years old, it's all too tough. <laughs> I'm not popular at all right now. Everybody teases me. It's so mean. I feel like the whole world has turned its back on me. Now, besides that, life is great. <laughs>
0: That's Marley, reading a conflicted diary entry written when she was nine. I'm Dan Meisner, and this... This is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kids. It's nice to see you, Toronto. Hello! This is a show where we go back in time to remember the good, the bad, and the awkward parts of growing up. This time, recorded live at the Transac in Toronto, we have an abominable snowman, a terrifying solar eclipse, and... A secret soap opera obsession. This stuff is weird, it is wonderful, and if you listen closely, you might just hear something that hits close to home. So think about who you were when you were a kid and stick around. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. Joining us on stage right now, Olive is going to read a journal entry they wrote at 14 or maybe 15. Please welcome to the Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kids stage, Olive.
1: Things to do with your menstrual blood. Okay. One. Mix it with a bit of water and feed it to your plants. In brackets, to be elaborated on. Two, smear it on your face and have a good primal scream. It's very liberating, especially when you've just started your period and are feeling quite crampy. Three, mix it with water and put it in pretty jars or vases. Display on a table where lots of people can see it. When people ask about it, Tell them it's the secret to life. Hee hee. Four. Paint with it. You've probably heard stories of this and thought, do people really do that? Well, yes, they do. And I am one of the masses. It's fun and pretty. I suggest finger painting, but brushes might work too. I've never tried. Five, use it as fake, fake blood. (laughs) Offer it to friends at Halloween to complete their outfits. (laughs) Tell them you have this great new fake blood recipe and then laugh when you watch your shredded insides harden on their face. These were all just ideas to be clear six drink it it might not taste great but hell it makes you feel uber down-to-earth and who doesn't want that serve it to guests at a dinner party Uh, say it's European seven decorate clothing with it tired of that old white t-shirt Smear on some blood in a pretty design, and now you're at the Oat of Fashion. Eight. Cook with it. I've never tried this before, but it's got lots of nutrients in it, and it would give that sauce a pretty color, right? Nine. Smear it on paper, and then take a flame to it. It burns a nice brown color. Very satisfying. Ten. Give it to people in little vials either as going away gifts, a little something to remind you of me, or just because you feel like giving people your menstrual blood. Eleven, I've never tried it before, but I'm sure if you had blonde or bleached hair, if you soaked your hair long enough in blood, it could dye it in awesome red. Punk rock, yo. Thank you.
2: some backstory. When I was 14 or 15, I was a very outspoken, young, uh, queer, feminist, budding activist. And a lot of that was in part due to the presence of my older, queer, feminist, very radical sister. And I remember when I was 13 and first got my period, she sat me down and she said, you know, I'm going to tell you some things that probably won't have learned at school. You know, you have other options for your period. You can use reusable pads. You can make your own out of flannel. You can use a menstrual cup. Um, It's reusable. And if you want, you can save your menstrual blood and mix it with water and feed it to plants. Um, And I just thought that was really amazing. And clearly that stuck with me.
0: Some kids are fascinated by space, outer space. And I know this because I was one of those kids. I had glow-in-the-dark stars stuck to the ceiling of my bedroom. I had a model of the solar system hanging from my light fixture. And one year for my birthday... I got a toy planetarium. I was pretty into space, but I was also kind of terrified by space, or more specifically, I was terrified of solar eclipses. I remember my elementary school teachers warning all of us about the danger of looking directly into the sun during an eclipse, and I remember when there were eclipses, I would walk to school with my eyes glued to the ground, and as it turns out, I was not alone. Our next reader, Shirley, read two diary entries written in May 1994, the day before and the day of a solar eclipse.
3: May 9, 1994, Monday, 6.16 p.m. Dear someone, (laughs) I'm so worried about tomorrow. See, there's going to be a solar eclipse, and it's very dangerous. If we happen to look directly at the sun when the eclipse is occurring, we would get severe eye damage or even end up blind. I'm so scared. What if I get tempted to look at it? (laughs) You know, it's not very easy to control temptation. (laughs) So would I go or not to school tomorrow? I'm not sure. I feel safer at home though. I mean, What if some of the kids who hate me just raise my head directly to the sun? I'll be doomed. Blindness could take away everything from me. My dreams and the sight of everything that is dear to me, like the sight of my keyboard, my flute, my family, my friends, my relatives, my home. Oh, but tomorrow I'll be having English and computers in the morning, then afterwards we're going to stay in my classroom the whole day, that is, after lunch, to avoid the eclipse. So we're not exactly going to be doing anything in the afternoon, but if I don't go to school, I'll be missing English and computers, and I hate missing classes, so maybe I would just go to school in the morning so I'd have English and computers, then I'll go home during lunch. (laughs) Still, I have to think about it. (laughs) Uh, I hope I don't end up blind or my family or my friends. I still have the unknown future ahead of me for me to end up blind now. I still want to explore the world, to travel to different places, to be on Broadway or West End someday, and to have the fun and happy times I'm supposed to have. Who knows, I might not be able to write on this diary ever again. And being blind is, like, a really big deal. My life's at stake tomorrow if I let temptation take over me. Your friend, Anonymous. Didn't want anyone to know I wrote it. May 10th, 1994, Tuesday, 7.27 p.m. Dear someone, Phew! What a day! I just survived one of the life or death situations in my life. Well, actually, this is the first time I had a life or death situation, and it's not exactly life or death, it's more like to see or not to see. (laughs) I did end up going to school in the morning, then I went back home after lunch before the eclipse, and there were many times I almost looked directly at the sun. but thank goodness I didn't. So I'm okay, your friend Anonymous. In
0: 1987, our next reader, Jeff, was 14 years old and in grade eight. And that year, Everyone in Jeff's class had to give an oral report read out loud in front of the entire class.
4: And when my classmates were doing reports on historical figures, hockey players, uh, how the stock market works, I decided to um, make a scrapbook and do a report on the soap opera Santa Barbara. Today, I will talk to you about a television show not too many of you are familiar with Santa Barbara. Yes, you gasp. It's a soap opera. But it isn't scummy, lusty, or simple minded like most others on TV. It is one hour of action packed en- uh, excitement every weekday at 5 o'clock on Channel 12. Out of the three-plus years it has been on the air, I have watched two of them, and I will probably watch until the show comes to an end, which I did. (laughs) The show revolves around the Capwells, the richest family in Santa Barbara. Everyone else on the show is somehow associated with them. In the past years, everything from a hostage crisis to a brainwashing scheme to a psychopathic killer throwing his wife into a tank of killer sharks at a marine park have happened. (laughs) To give you a feeling of what an episode is usually like, I will describe what happened on last Friday's episode. Jane was locked up in her room with the unknown rapist, who had previously committed seven other rapes, and he is about to murder her. Eden's helicopter exploded in mid-flight, and everyone thinks that she is dead, Really, she is still struggling after being buried alive in an avalanche and a hunter is still hot on her trail. (laughs) Don't get me wrong here, I don't spend my whole life watching Santa Barbara. (laughs) Every once in a while, I'll tape the last ten minutes of an episode and if it looks exciting, I will watch the new one the next day. This way, I will be able to follow everything and not get bored with the show. Every once in a while, I'll think it is great to escape from the real world and sit down to find out what's happening in the fantastical world of Santa Barbara. The good thing is that ever since I have been watching Santa Barbara, I have basically stopped watching other TV shows because I think nothing can compare to be anything as good as Santa Barbara. It is funny with such characters as Mason Capwell and Keith Timmons. It is scary, with the rapists still on the loose, and it is definitely exciting with its nonstop action. The producers gather all of the right ingredients for a successful TV show and mush them together to create Santa Barbara. The only problem is that it gets a bit too unrealistic with the c- continual tragic ac- incidents happening to the same characters. But that doesn't bother me because it sure makes for a good story. I think... Almost any of you would enjoy this unique and brilliant show.
0: After our show, Jeff told me the backstory to his Santa Barbara obsession. Turns out he was homesick for three weeks with mono, watching daytime TV, and that's how he got hooked. But for a long time, Jeff kept his love of Santa Barbara secret.
4: Well, I continued watching the show all through high school, and it kept the secret from my parents. I taped the show every week on VHS, and I would sit at my father's desk and pretend to be doing my homework, watching TV at a low volume with my finger hovering over the pause button. I'd shut the TV off and bury my head in a science textbook anytime my parents would walk by. It was shameful, deception, but also thrilling.
0: Diaries can be intensely personal, and everybody who writes a diary has their own way of thinking about who exactly they're writing to. Some people explicitly recognize that a diary is an inanimate object, that it's a book, but others write as though they're talking to a close friend, almost like a person. When our next reader, Nancy, was 15, she kept a diary. And at first, she felt the need to introduce herself to whoever or whatever she was writing to.
6: January 15th, 1979. Hi, salute, buenos dias. I'm Nancy and this is my diary. (laughs) I am fairly good looking, I think. (laughs) I have long brown hair, which always gets bleached out by the sun. I do not look wearing a hat because, as you know, the static electricity makes it go crazy the rest of the day. My brothers think I should cut off my hair or curl it because every other girl does. Well I have news for you, I am not every other girl. I cannot stand the kinky hairstyle inspired by the movie Grease because it makes them look slinky and cheap more often than not. I have green-blue eyes, but I do wish they were dark brown, because brown eyes to me seem appealing and emotional. <laughs> April 5th, 1979. Hello again. I saw a picture of Yule Brenner as the wicked pharaoh in The Ten Commandments. He sure is handsome. <laughs> Another actor I find appealing is Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> Actually, it's more the hopeless romantic character he plays in the show Ten Speed and Brown show. We had Cable. I think from now on, when I think of Egyptian pharaohs, I will think of Yule. <laughs> April 20. I don't deserve the rude remarks my brother and dad give me at all. Tonight at dinner was particularly rude and rotten. My brother didn't want pie, but Mom dished it out to him anyway. He argued for a while and then said, why doesn't Nancy have to have any? Mom said, she is watching her wait. She ought to recognize... A remark like that is an opening for abuse. My brother said, she's not watching close enough. <laughs> I don't think I'm fat. I've asked friends I can trust to tell me the honest truth, and none of them think so. They know I want to know, so they give me the on- their honest opinions, not empty compliments. I'm not constantly binging on food like my brother's, and I hardly eat anything for dinner. That is particularly bad because he pretends he's kidding when he said I look schlumpy fat and I should go on a diet. He does it because he is overweight. I think he's glad I am like I am so he can have an outlet. I can easily understand why young girls starve themselves to get thin. I'm so glad I have a diary for an outlet. (laughs) Sometimes I dream of going on a talk show and answering perso- personal questions from Johnny Carson or Merv. <laughs> Without a doubt, I, I'd always say I regretted my family life. But truthfully, I could never denounce them on television because I'm the different one in the family, not them. May ten. Friday, before leaving for home, I helped with the senior prom decorations. I climbed up on a scaffold and taped fish up on the ceiling. It was a weird feeling. Exhilarating. Today, Mom and I went shopping, and I got my bathing suit. I've grown, and not just wider. I know because the bathing suit fit well. I guess you could say I developed more. Don't laugh. At the time, I was probably barely five feet tall and under 100 pounds, so I'm quite pleased to see that sense of reflection that I have. About the diary, what I find interesting is that I still do private writing, but more expressive writing. I don't keep a journal, and I do feel that it is indeed an outlet where you can trouble what has happened. You can rethink it and try to come at it in other terms, and I really enjoyed going back and seeing how much time had passed, several decades, and still hear a kind of strong voice in there.
0: When Anna was a kid, her parents encouraged her to write letters because they wanted her to be good at keeping up written correspondence. So... Any time Anna lost a tooth, she wouldn't just leave it under her pillow; she would write a letter to the Tooth Fairy.
7: Dear Tooth Fairy, Tooth Number Eleven being sent to you by Pillow Express. <laughs> I don't have much to say, but I'll say I'm exhausted. Dad's been kind of pushy tonight. Signed, Anna. P.S. Do you give back the teeth? Dear Tooth Fairy three teeth left. I'll miss you. Do you want me to write to you at camp? (laughs) Love, Anna. Hi, Tooth Fairy. One more tooth to go. Will I get big bucks when that one comes out? After all, it's my last one. Sorry I haven't spoken to you for a while. May I keep in touch with you after I've lost all my teeth? (laughs) I hope so, because I'll need someone to talk to when I get braces. And you are the Tooth Fairy. Anna.
0: Now, we were really lucky that Anna's mom was able to get in touch with the Tooth Fairy so she could get those original letters back.
7: I received these letters from my mother in the last week. And all of them contained the (laughs) teeth. Thank you.
0: Uh, At the break, if, uh, if you want to ask Anna to see any of those teeth, I'm sure she would be happy to share them with you. Our next two readers brought along short stories, and both stories have to do with the importance of moms. First up, it's Ben, reading an
8: adventure story with a moral. A dead time story. (laughs) One day, there was a boy named Zach. Zach was 12. Now, Zach lived by a mountain, and he wanted to go on an adventure to see what lived on the mountain. Some people say an abominable snowman lived on the mountain. Zach wanted to see if one really did, so that day he asked his mom if he could go, and his mom said, no. (laughs) It's too dangerous. But mom, I'm 12 now, and I want to go, Zach said. I said no. Now would you go feed the bunnies? (laughs) No, said Zach. Okay, and you can go straight to bed. Zach's mom said. Fine, Zach snorted. That night, Zach said to himself, if I want to go on an adventure, I can. So that night, Zach sneaked out his window. Zach forgot that he slept on the top floor. (laughs) Zach fell two stories. It shocked him. It's a good thing it was winter, or Zach's blood and guts would be all over the place. Zach started for the mountain, and it took him a long time to get there. Zach had to tromp through two feet of snow. Finally, Zach got to the mountain. While Zach was climbing the mountain, he heard spooky noises. They almost sounded like groans. Zach had been climbing the mountain for almost an hour. Zach was about to turn back, but then he saw a cave. When Zach got closer, the groaning got louder. When Zach finally reached the cave, the groaning was even louder. Zach looked in, and the groaning wasn't coming from the abominable snowman. It was coming from a human. The abominable snowman was eating the human. The abominable snowman turned around and saw Zach, and the abominable snowman said, Good, another flesh thing. <laughs> Zach tried to run, but it was too late. The abominable snowman had got him, and Zach's last words were, Ah! <laughs> and then I guess somehow Zach gets away, because it goes on to read, That was Zach's last and first time climbing the mountain. Uh, once he escaped the abominable snowman, he, he didn't want to climb that mountain again. Or any other one. When Zach finally got home, it was two o'clock in the morning. So that just goes to show you should always listen to your mom.
0: Like I said, Ben's was not the only short story we heard at our Toronto show. Erin brought along a story she wrote when she was five. And the thing you really need to know about this is that while Erin wrote this story, it was transcribed by her mom. So as you're listening, just picture that. Five-year-old Erin dictating and her mom writing all of this down.
5: It's called Three Things the Fairy Dreamed. There was a big fairy in her bed. She was dreaming about she woke up and went with some ballerinas. That night, she forgot to dream about her mommy. She forgot about her mommy. She was having fun and doing tricks and learning ballerina tricks and playing with the tree trap. But she forgot about her mommy. She never dreamed about her mommy. (laughs) Then one night, she woke up with two bears. One was Love-A-Lot and the other was Rainbow Bear. And she learned some bear games and she was playing with the bear trap and the angel trap and the tree trap. But she still forgot about her mommy. (laughs) She never, never dreamed about her mommy. Then one night she woke up with two rocking horses and she rided them over and she rided them back. And she was playing with pony traps. Then she woke up in her dream and said, are they real? I've got to darn find those guys. I better go off in the woods and find the bears first. I found the bears at last, but they're only a funshine and tenderheart. There's clover bear too. First she went to ballerina class and found three of them. Then she went to Ponyland and she got three ponies the end.
0: But she never dreamed about her mommy. That is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kids. Our show was recorded live at the Transac in Toronto and produced by jenna meisner special thanks to leanne bigwood we have upcoming live events in halifax calgary regina saskatoon vancouver and beyond for all the details visit grownups read things they wrote as kids.com and if you want a heads up about future dates join our newsletter there is a link at the website and in the show notes to this episode we're also on facebook and that's where you can find photos of all the readers you heard in the show I'm Dan Meisner. Thanks for listening.